Hello. Welcome to another episode of Coming Out Stories from What Goes On Media with me, Emma Goswell. In this episode, you're going to meet an incredible human being who's really fought to live the life they deserve. Now, I don't meet many people who really do lose it all and never speak to their family again. But this, sadly, is one of those stories. Be warned, there are some really tough bits to their journey. But there's also a story of determination, bravery, friendship and love. Time now to meet a drag queen called Val Kaida. Yes, the name is deliberately provocative. In a recent interview, she said, it's just my way of reclaiming the jokes that I've been the butt of for most of my life. I've been called a terrorist countless times, sometimes in jest, but sometimes it's not. So why not make the joke first and take back that power? She also refers to herself as the Bollywood bombshell in a burqa. Wonderful. Well, I started by asking how they identify. I'm a gay man and a drag queen. Pronouns are he, him, out of drag, she, her, in drag. But in general, I don't really care about pronouns. It's uh, For myself, it's a massive, massive issue. I don't like it when I get called he in drag because I feel like it's purposely said and it's disrespectful. (laughs) Like, oh, look at him. It's like, I'm wearing a wig and a breastplate. (laughs) (laughs) Your breastplate is something else, isn't it? It is ginormous. Oh, my neck, that. It's definitely something it's, else. I've had neck pain ever since I bought it. It's horrible. It's, well, yes, it's Dolly Parton-esque, isn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, it was advertised as double D, but a tailor actually measured it, and it was more of a H. <laughs> so I got, more, I got more bang for my buck, but in my neck, well, suffered. You're like most women, always wearing the wrong bra size. Oh, literally, though. I think I started <laughs> off with a double D bra size and essentially my tits were pushed into my chest. And <laughs> like since then, I think I got up to like a G or something. That's a more comfortable one. But uh, hey, we're not talking about bra sizes. No, no, we're not. But it was interesting what you said about pronouns because, you know, it's always, I think people find it difficult to understand how to talk to drag queens sometimes. But it's interesting mm-hmm. that you sort of define it as if you're dressing as a man as you are today then you are he him and if you are in drag you are she her it's quite an easy way to remember it really but I guess it's not that for everybody is it yeah I guess it's not that for everybody because you do get non-binary people who don't necessarily present in the most stereotypical way for people to understand pronouns like straight away like with me if I'm in drag I'm quite obviously dressing as a woman so Mm -hmm. just use she her but there'll be other people non-binary people out there etc that aren't really dressing as either so it's always good to ask which is um, a positive thing. Okay so let's go back a bit then shall we let's go back to um, little Valkyrie. Let's uh, bring back the trauma again I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) God so whereabouts did you grow up whereabouts did you go to school and what was that like for you? So I was born and bred in Manchester. I'm a Manchester queen through and through. Um, I was born in uh, just the border of Stockport and Levenger, right near the McVitie's factory. So always woke up to the uh, smell of biscuits in the air. And that wasn't just from the kitchen, it was from the outside. So oh, I've been in and seen their Jaffa cakes. It's very exciting. Every single time, like, it's such a staple of, like, Levin Gym. Every single time you drive past it, it just smells so, so lovely. But it's just a mystery of what's inside. Oh, yeah, I'm very lucky. I've been, like, inside Willy Wonka's inner area, I feel like, really. It was, like, Levin Gym's version of Willy Wonka's. It's the only thing that we have. <laughs> so what was it like growing up in Levin Gym, then, and, and knowing that you were gay, knowing that you were different? So um, in Levenshume, uh, that's where I went to primary school as well, literally around the corner. Like I got up out of bed, opened the door, walked, I think, 
20 seconds of a primary school was there. So um, I didn't really know I was gay. I knew I was different. I didn't really know I was gay in primary school because we didn't get, I went to a C of E primary school, so we didn't get taught about like gay, etc. I didn't know what gay was. Like I remember the first time I understood what gay was, was in high school when kids used to call me gay and I'm like what is that I remember saying saying what is that to my friends I was like, and they were like oh it's someone that likes boys and straight away I was like oh oh I'm gay then <laughs> like straight away like that was just a straight away thing how old would you have been then then do you think I think it was uh just literally I think it was on the first day of high school oh god <laughs> um, I think it was like um how old do you have to be for about 12 uh, 12 yeah yeah. yeah, so 12, as soon as I found out what gay was, because other people were calling me as like a, a negative thing, I was like, oh, right, that makes sense. Yeah, okay, I'm gay then. So that's interesting, because I think of you as a very young person. I mean, you you were born in the 90s, so you, you're talking about the late 90s, early noughties, aren't you, really? And I would have thought by then, LGBT issues might have been discussed even at primary school, or, or were they not being talked about in your home at all either? No, so in primary school, they didn't mention it at all. No. It was um, strictly straight um, sex education in year five. And um, uh, in the home, well, gay just wasn't a used term and it was very much see no evil hear no evil looking back at it uh if you don't mention it they won't know what it is but it's like little do you know we do socialize in my place when we will find out eventually but they did a pretty good job because i didn't find out what it was until i was 12 so that's 12 years of hiding it from me so wow yeah and was it a fairly strict muslim household that you grew up in then yes uh quite strict so i grew up in my grandparents home with my mom living there also who was like a single mother and um they were quite strict muslims and they were the generation that came over from pakistan so my mom was second generation born here and um, my grandparents came over from pakistan um in the late 50s 60s right yeah yeah so do you go, do you pray? Did you go to the mosque? Did you do all yeah, of that? Yeah, uh, pray, go to the mosque, read the Quran three times, which took, I think, three years. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, go, to, go to Arabic school, um, pray, etc. Watch uh, Islamic TV shows on Sky, which was a super massive thing at the time. It's not so much now. <laughs> Fast at Ramadan, all of that. Yeah, fast, oh, fast at Ramadan, like, even, yeah, no, that was very, very strict, I had to fast every single time. I think it was encouraged, it wasn't actually too bad, because it was encouraged at, like, whenever you sort of, like, understood it, and they wouldn't expect you to keep it all, like, especially at the ages of, like, eight, etc. But um, when it got to, like, 12, and when you became, like, went through puberty, etc., it's like, okay, now you have to do the whole fast sort of things. Mm. And um, to be honest, it was kind of fun. It was like a, it's a very, uh, Ramadan brings families together a lot because you're all experiencing the same thing. And then to break the fast, you just um, sit down together when there's always a family meal at the end of every day. So it was really nice. It brings families together. So I don't really complain about Ramadan, really. No, no, absolutely not. Um, But from people that I have spoken to, who are Muslim and gay or part of the LGBT family, it, it's a tough journey sometimes because it's kind of frowned upon, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think with um, myself, it was like I still identify as a Muslim now. Um, I'm more of a liberal Muslim, more of a spiritual Muslim. I believe in all the teachings, etc. I just don't really do what I'm meant to do, but I do believe in Allah, etc. Mm. So um, that's uh, it's my personal relationship with God that I concentrate on because it's only between me and him, that's it. I did go through very 
conflicting emotions and like can I being gay and being Muslim like that's not really a thing but then you just come to the realization of well to be honest as much as it's taught that oh it's a sin to be gay um if you so technically it's only a sin if you act upon your desires yes so that's um the only thing so if you're gay it's not a sin it's only if you act upon it but it's like okay it's definitely not a choice. So clearly something went wrong here. And he, like, we believe in Islam that we're all made in God's image. So it's a bit scandalous to say, but if I'm gay and I was born it, surely that's a part of God. So he does love me as as I am. So I just concentrate on being a good person, being charitable, always helping people before me, which is, like, one of the foundations of Islam, being, like, just a nice person and a positive person for your community. And um, that's what I concentrate on. And I think I'd like to hear more religious people speak like that, really. You know, whether they're Muslim, Sikh or Christian or Jewish, it'd just be nice if everyone just got on, wouldn't it, really? God, that would be the dream, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to school then. I mean, not literally, but um, you said you were called gay from like the first day at school. W- w- was that yeah. difficult? Was there a lot of bullying? Um, there was uh, quite a bit of bullying because essentially what I did, I think it was in the first week of school. So the first day, like when I said, oh, yeah, you know what? I am gay to my friends because um, I realised what it was. Then I got home and um, I was actually on my computer and I was on Facebook and I was like, it's been a week of all these people calling me gay. Like I'm getting really sick and tired of it. So I sat on my little computer on my little dial up and uh, I wrote out, uh, like do you know how like uh, on Facebook it, everyone was always like oh um it's like your name and I was like it's feeling hungry yeah. um or like da, 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 is watching children in need um yeah. but I wrote <laughs> I wrote my government name I would like to announce that he's gay and um I pressed enter and I was like oh mm, I mean I don't care but mm, let's just delete it so it was up for like 30 seconds and then um I went to sleep went to school the next day the whole school was talking about it because someone had saw it and it just spread around like wildfire. And I was like, oh, well, at least it's out there now. Like everyone's like, oh my God, are you actually gay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was the only out gay person in my whole school from the age, wow. from the year of seven, like um, the only gay person like out in the, in the whole school. So so was- you don't regret posting it for 30 seconds then? Was it Was it better to be out, do you think? Yeah, I think it was better to be out because I just don't think mentally I would have coped so 12, that's pretty young. Yeah, I mean, I was a, a brave kid from like, I was very like outspoken, even from a young age, like my grandparents would always say to me, like, like would always be proud of me, like, because my granddad specifically would always say, like, we genuinely thought you were like a blessing from God because you'd ask really existential questions as like a child that no other child is like, they've ever heard, I've never heard another child speak that way. And whenever like, friends from different cities would come they'd like sit and listen to me apparently um just talking about the universe and they were like this child is like really enlightened and like it's something like this something's gonna happen with this child like is he's like asking questions that I'd never asked by a child and sometimes even adults so I was very very outspoken I wasn't really afraid um so I don't really regret it um at the age of uh, 12 I think it was better for me to come out than for me to hide myself which I wouldn't have done because that wasn't my character anyway as soon as I knew what it was it was like I've got nothing to hide okay yeah I am but essentially at 12 you're still a child for a number of years then aren't you really yeah I I mean I definitely knew I was different like I I feel like I had the attraction to 
boys and men when I was like even younger, like at the age of like seven or something. But I just didn't know what it was. It wasn't like I didn't have a definition for it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't necessarily see it as a sexual attraction, but I didn't. I knew it was an attraction that I didn't have to girls. I think it was more confusing because even straight relationships and like boys and girls, etc., that wasn't talked about either. Anything sexual, anything relationship-wise, it wasn't talked about in a Muslim household. The only representation you'd see of it is married people in the family, etc. But even then, it was just a thing like, oh, they're married. You don't actually think about what goes behind the marriage and like, if they're having sex, etc. Like you don't see it as a sexual thing, you just see it as part of the family. So I don't think I even understood. Like I don't think I even understood how to have sex until um year five, etc. Whereas um, when we did the sexual education, whereas all the other people in the classroom were like, Oh, we already knew, you didn't know. And it's like, What? I thought you had <laughs> sex by putting I thought you had sex by putting your penis in the girl's belly button. Because I didn't even know what to have down there. <laughs> wow that sounds painful um, so what what was the reaction then from from your your sort of classmates then did they sort of go oh right that's fine or was there still bullying carrying yeah, on so there was still well it helps because I was like best friends with like the hottest girls in school so any straight uh, guy that had to get to them had to go through me so they had like to keep me in the good books um <laughs> and also if anyone said anything they'd protect me etc and they like say oh shut up and the, like the other people would be like oh shit like they're actually really hot we should listen <laughs> um and uh, but mainly the bullying came from the boys in my own community like the south asian muslims that was sort of like how can one of ours be gay and like i did used to get like beat up sometimes and like PE when I'd be by myself um, and then they'd have me when I didn't have my friends around them. PE was like the worst for me because I didn't have like my friends around them because it's all separated by sex, isn't it? So um, yeah, I did get like beat up a few times and... Did you report that? Not really because I just thought, okay, just, you know, I just, just get on with it. I think it came to, uh, I think it was either year eight or nine where there was this one specific boy that was like the ringleader that always had like a massive issue with me being gay. He was also South Asian and Muslim. I think there was one time in a class where I got so sick and tired of it, I stood up and I think he threw something at me and it hit my face or something in the class. So I stood up, turned around and just walloped him uh in the classroom and then it ended up being like a fight and we got like split up and we got both taken to the head teacher's office sat outside waiting for the head teacher and it's like that's such a bad move like for some people that have just had fights you got them to sit down alone outside a head teacher's office mm-hmm. but it was really really a weird dynamic i think it boiled up to a point of like the blows and then when we were sat alone outside the head teacher's office i rem- i just think i remember um my- myself making a joke something like oh, well, that was a bit much. Like, that was my first fight. And he was like, oh, yeah, same. And I was like, oh, have you got any tips for me next time? And then, <laughs> and then we were just saying, oh, yeah, uh, just swing a bit faster next time. And I was like, oh, okay, noted. And it was like a really weird debrief, I think, because it just got up to that point. And um, it kind of, there was no, like, uh, anything um, physical after that. It was just, like, uh, verbal bullying, etc. But we got to a point where we moved past it um, in, like, year eight year nine when we had the fight and then um it was just verbal abuse and then like there was nothing physical ever done to me after that sounds like you sort of almost accepted it and just put up with it really 
I don't think that, no, because it was still very much verbal bullying. Like every time mm. he'd see me, like he'd walk past me and his group of friends would all like laugh, etc. But it was that rather than trying to beat me up in PE again. Do you know what I mean? So, that's, but that's so hurtful, isn't it? And damaging as well. Yeah, that does get damaging, etc. I think my self worth in high school was definitely much lower than a lot of other people due to because it was daily. It was definitely daily verbal bullying, etc. But it, it is what it is, and kids can be kids, and they, they shouldn't happen. It won't happen. It wouldn't happen now because there's so many like um, restrictions and like ways to deal with it. But our school was advertised as a zero tolerance bullying high school, and they really were really bad at like enforcing yeah. that. But it yeah. is what it is, and I feel like it's made me stronger. So okay, and so with all this going on, presumably, did your mum know? Did you come out to her separately, or did she find out anyway? So the way she found out, um, we had moved out of uh, my grandparents' house at this point. It was when I was, uh, I think, 15. My uh, maths teacher, who was also Muslim and South Asian, the same boy and his group of friends were in my maths class. And uh, they were, like, calling me, like, gay, etc. Like, And I just kept saying, shut up, shut up. And then um, uh, everyone was leaving. And then I was the last person to leave. And then my maths teacher stopped and he was like, oh, um, what were they talking about? Like, uh, they were saying you were gay and that? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, are you? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, right, okay. All right, then, yeah, you can go, that's fine. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I didn't think anything of it. And then um, when I got home, I was upstairs revising for some exams and my mum sort of, like, screamed my name from downstairs and I was like, oh, what's going on here? Like, we already had a tumultuous relationship anyway because my mum was very much unstable due to things that she's been through in her life and she would like and we didn't we didn't have a very good relationship would always be like at each other's like thoughts and arguments etc more her to me and me just being quiet and so I was like oh great something else like she's gonna get angry again and then I was downstairs when she um I came downstairs when she yelled my name and she was like sitting there and she was like sit down and I sat down like on the couch opposite her and she was like, so I just got a phone call from one of your teachers that you're gay. What? Yeah. So basically what happened was my math teacher called up my mum because he's South Asian and Muslim and said, found out this about your son. And um, I thought you should know because obviously like we're South Asian and Muslim. So she found out through that. And then from then it just went all downhill and everything started from there. So, I mean, unbelievable that, he would do that I mean surely that isn't within the policy of the school is it to ring parents and tell them about their children's sexuality well I didn't really know that at the time I was sort of concentrating about oh my god how am I gonna survive is she gonna kick me out is she gonna murder me <laughs> like I think I didn't really know that at the time I just went into sort of like survival mode and I yeah. was like denying it and she was like I know I know I know so you don't need to deny it and I was like okay and I was just literally crying and it got really like physical and I sort of locked myself in my room Lots of people now, whenever they tell me that, they're always super, super shocked, but I've moved past it. Like, it's something I've moved past. And they're like, you can still report that person. I was like, oh, I don't even know, like, if he's alive. I remember his name, but I don't want to go through that route and bring it up again. No, no, fair enough. But so your mum took it really badly? Yeah, she took it really, really badly. It was like a couple months of physical abuse where she'd uh, like smash my head into like a radiator, etc. Like just outbursts of anger. 
it, it was what it was, and it got to the point where she ended up kicking me out, and I had she essentially called my granddad to pick me up, and ended up living with my granddad for about a year, but she never actually told him why she kicked me out. So um, she just sort of like went cold and like didn't speak to me for like a year. And my grandparents didn't really ask any questions. They would just took me in. They were like, right, okay, I guess you're staying with us. And it was 100% because of your sexuality? Yeah. Gosh. Just so hurtful, isn't it? And did you ever feel tempted to tell your granddad? Or do you, I guess you feared that you'd be homeless again. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't feel like, wasn't tempted at all because the, I got out of that physical like abuse from my mum after finding out because it was very much almost every day for like a good couple of months and it was it really damaged me and I just thought right I'm actually out of this as much as they're super strict Muslims I'd just rather be safe and not be like going through things with my mum and be like assaulted etc so I'm just so happy I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing and it was during this was during my GCSEs all happened during my GCSEs so on one hand I had to study for my GCSEs and go through all this with my mum etc so it kind of impacted my GCSEs a lot but in the end my mum randomly after like a couple of months of me living at my grandparents ended up calling them out of spite and um, saying you didn't realise why I kicked him out and they were like why he's gay and told them and then that set off the chain reaction with my granddad like my grandma was quite a meek person and um, I was closer to my grandma she was like the second mom so she was just crying yeah. granddad went into like a flurry of rage and violence and he just grabbed me by the throat and tried to like strangle me and I at that point I literally like pushed him off locked the door of my bedroom and found a saw bin bag that I had and grabbed as much as I could in ran out of the door, was on the streets in, like, rain, figuring out what to do. But luckily, because that was um, where I grew up around my primary school, etc. I reconnected with the primary school friend just a couple of weeks prior to that, um, who I hadn't seen since primary school. So I was like, oh, they live around the corner. I'm just going to go straight there. So I went straight there with, like, my two bin bags in tow, like, walking 25 minutes in the rain to there and explained what happened and... They're uh, like a white family. They're really, really loving and accepting. And they knew I was gay. And I told them, I was like, they found out. So I stayed there the night. And then that's sort of like when my independent journey started, like from when I was 15. Wow. It's so upsetting to hear this. And it isn't that long ago. That's the scary thing, isn't it? This is only what sort of... 11 years ago for me. 11 years ago. So we're talking 2009. Yes. Uh, It's... It's absolutely terrifying. So you got help from that family, but did you get help from anyone else? Because essentially you were trying to do your GCSEs and you were homeless. Yeah, so I stayed with um, that friend for, I think, a couple of days. And then I had a best friend at the time who was um, a little bit older than me, like, and she was, like, Iranian from an Iranian family who was, like, quite liberal. She was half white and half Iranian. They were, like really nice and like she was like kind of like a sister to me and essentially I stayed at her house for a year going into college like and um the family were like we'll help you financially from now on because they were quite well off and just like really accepted me but I can't really remember but we just like ended up not speaking for a bit um after because basically a year after that 
when I was like, I think when I just turned 17, it was like a year and a bit, I got help off the Albert Kennedy Trust, who found me a homeless hostel. And I ended up living there at the age of 17. And while I was in the homeless hostel, I sort of lost contact with that friend. And I was just sort of like living it alone in the homeless hostel at the age of 17, going to college. And I ended up dropping out of college because it was just a bit too much living in the homeless hostel and going to college. And yeah, I spent my 18th birthday in that homeless hostel. And from then, it was just living independently. After I was in there for two years from the age of 17. Well, on the plus side, I'm really thrilled to hear that Albert Kennedy Trust managed to help you because I'm a big supporter of their charity. I'm a volunteer for them. And we've, I've interviewed Tim Sixworth, the CEO of Albert mm-hmm. Kennedy Trust. And it's just nice to hear that they can help people. And, and it's tragic that there are people like you. People, this is, people don't believe that this is why I wanted to do the whole podcast really in the book, because people just don't believe that these things still happen and they're happening on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, luckily, luckily I don't think it happens as much and as to, to well, it does happen, mm. but um, especially to the extent of my story, etc. Like, I don't think it happens that much or maybe that harsh. Like you never really hear about getting disowned by your family and then literally never speaking to them again. Normally it's like a good few years, no matter how long, and then you got to get back in touch with them. But with me, it's been 11 years and I'm I'm completely confident. Like they've, I've not spoken to them for 11 years. They, they don't have a number, they don't know where I live. Uh, they, I know for sure I'm never going to speak to them again. And I've made peace with that. So I think my story is a bit unique because I just know I'm going to be like, uh, I'm not going to have a biological family like forever. And is there any part of you that has a regret and thinks I'd actually really like to pick up the phone and speak to them and try and talk them around? No. No, because I have my chosen family and I do, I do have conversations with them all the time. Something like I do feel lonely, et cetera. Like, especially when it gets to like holiday times, when it gets to like Eid, et cetera. Um, because I, I, that's very much a family thing, but I have made my chosen family and, like they've shown me more love than I had in the whole 15 years of my own family <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, uh, I, I'm really grateful for that so no I don't have any regrets. So have you got a partner? I don't have a partner unfortunately <laughs> just concentrating <laughs> on myself I do have a, a really close-knit group of friends that um like five or six sort of like best friends who are just complete family to me who I know will do anything for me who have known for ages like five years etc with me the amount of time I put into a friendship you're either my best friend or someone that I just see out and say hello to and like mm. those five six people are like my best friends when I will do anything for me like at any point um I don't really see the point of putting energy into someone that that you know won't like that just that that you don't that there's no point in putting energy in someone that's just sort of like a fleeting high and by friend I don't know what the point of that is I'd rather just make friends that are like family to me I think LGBT people are brilliant at doing that actually yeah, are brilliant at finding their own family and creating yeah. their their own their own normal and their own family knit groups you know it's, yeah exactly kind of have to survive that way don't we yeah, it's the only way we can survive. And I think um, it's, I'm very, very lucky, like, because it's not a lot of people like have more than sort of like one person, whereas I've literally got like five, six people I can literally trust in my life. And that is really, really, like, I'm really, really grateful for that because some people don't even have five, six people in their family. And essentially, I've got a big family around me, like, <laughs> family. Uh, and so, did you not have any brothers or sisters? No. 
So no, I grew up um, as a single, uh, well, a single child. I'm really guessing was a single child. Um, <laughs> um, I grew up uh, in uh, just the only child um, growing up. So yeah. And um, I normally ask people about you know um, career and work because sometimes it's a big deal coming out in the workplace as well. But I mean, you've chosen a fairly gay-friendly employment. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I don't really. Um, I don't since the age of like finding out that I was gay and like coming out on Facebook. I don't think I've ever lied about being gay or hid it. Like um, no matter what, even before I started drag, I've just always been open. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Because essentially. I have nothing to lose now because at the age of 15, like, I've got this own, like, what else am I going to lose? Well, that's it. You lost everything, basically, didn't you? Well, you lost what you thought was your world at a very, very young, um, important age. Yeah. And and yet you never, ever denied it. Like, you came out really early at 12. Mm-hmm. What do you think has given you that that inner strength and that belief to just come out as soon as you knew what the word gay meant? You were out of that closet, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he I was even in the closet. I don't think he I was at the point of uh, being flat packed from Ikea, getting built the closet. Like, I don't think <laughs> at that point. Just no point in hiding. There's no point in hiding because there's more energy put into hiding, which is negative, than there was being yourself. Yeah. And how did you get into drag then? Was that something that you'd always watched and just wanted to get part- involved in? Oh, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> uh, when I was uh, eight, I think the old first time I even knew what a drag queen was was when I was like eighteen. When I went out to the uh, village um, and I met a drag queen for the first time, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't realize, didn't realize like these people existed." Like from like three years living independently as a gay person, obviously I didn't really have any gay friends or anything. But as soon as I turned eighteen, I was like, "Oh, I get to the village," and then uh, went to the village and I saw drag queens, and I was like. I didn't know that this was a thing. Like, this is a bit weird. I was a bit scared off a bit because mm. at that point, I mean, I've always been quite flamboyant, but I was very much of, oh, I need to be a man because I was, like, dismantling everything that I learned growing up. So I was like, oh, it's a bit uncomfortable. Like, I love them, but it's, it's a bit uncomfortable for me, the idea. I actually started drag at Davina's bar, Kiki. Uh, she did with uh, her husband. Oh, yeah. um, and basically, I was working behind the bar and then uh, they had, like, a themed night on on Tuesday. And one of the drag queens on that night was like, I really want to paint you. And I was like, that's not happening. And um, they <laughs> were safe for like two months. And I was like, oh, fine, go on then. Because I hadn't clean shaved, like, ever since I grew a beard at the age of three. So um, like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not three, but about, like, 11. But, yeah, I never clean shaved, so I didn't know what the fuck was under there. And um, she ended up doing it. I had really a lot of fun because I got to make the outfit like and I got to style it and everything. And I looked really good. And straight away, like, because um, I worked there behind the bar, like, the managers were like, do you want your own night? And I was like, what? Like, I've done that <laughs> once. And they're like, yeah, it's like, really, really fun. And, like, you can be a part of, like, um, this night called Quiz Fiction and that could be your night. And I was like, mm, go on then. And I was like, but I don't do my own makeup. So, like, the first three times I didn't do my own makeup. And then after that, I started learning. But yeah, I started it because I was like, you know what? There's no one out here that I feel like represents me. Like there was a lovely drag queen, Black Ivory. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she's a Muslim and Bengali. But there was no uh, Hmm. Pakistani Muslim drag queen who's like super, super out there and like speaking up for representation and everything. So I was like, you know what? I don't have that. I wish someone would speak up like about representation in like a whitewashed um, industry especially in Manchester and so I was like okay if I, if I can't see a representation be it so I started it and I'm really glad I started drag because so as much as I denied my culture and sort of like tried to shy away from it from like at the age of 15 after like being kicked out I was like 
okay, let me just um, like get back into the culture and like get in touch with my like my, my South Asian side and my like Bollywood, etc. Learning more about the religion, and I was like, oh right, okay, drag actually brought me closer to my culture that I felt like I denied a lot because I thought it was embarrassing like to be gay and also be South Asian but doing drag I realized that it's actually something unique that you should be grateful to that's what I love about your drag though because you can tell how much you love your culture and you really do embody that sort of fabulous and flamboyant essence of Bollywood don't you really essentially I'm lucky to have that culture that I can reference from because not a lot of people have like such a vibrant colorful culture like especially yeah. like Bollywood dressing etc and I'm lucky because that makes me stand out like who knows if I wasn't South Asian I'd just be another queen of the leotard like before <laughs> sweet transvestite but I don't have to be that luckily I've got something that can make me different so it's it's a good thing for me yeah. for sure yeah, well, I interviewed Asifa Lahore quite a few years ago, and she always used to bill herself as Britain's first Muslim Asian drag queen. But I, I guess there's a few, a few now. No, she's a very, very close friend. I didn't know about Asifa until the ages of like 18 because I just stumbled because I was like researching like Muslim drag queens because I was obviously a Muslim drag queen starting drag, mm-hmm. and um, I came across her Channel Four documentary. Uh, and um yeah, I was watching that, and I was like, oh, so there are other people out there like me because I genuinely thought I was like the only one. So I was like, what the hell? Oh, like, yeah. it's just really, really nice because from watching Muslim drag queens and being in awe to during this um, pandemic, like me and Asifa, we've still not met in real life, but me and Asifa have, what's it called, become really, really close. We FaceTime all the time. I FaceTimed a two year, two days ago. We just got really, really close. So it was really full circle from seeing that documentary to now her being one of my closest friends in my cousin family. Oh, I can't wait for you two to meet. That's fabulous. Oh, God, I know. Exactly. We've got loads of plans to work together. Well, we need to see you on the next um, UK season of Drag Race then, don't we? Oh, who knows? We do need that South Asian representation, though, so... Well, we do. Exactly. Because I feel like... um, Drag in the US is um, very multicultural and very mixed, isn't it? But I feel like you're right. It is a very, uh, it's a very white thing in the UK, isn't it? We're the most underrepresented in the media in drag. It doesn't make sense. Like, there's more white queens out there. There's a, thank goodness now that there's a flurry of drag, there was a flurry of black drag queens that are representing their community. But South Asians are getting left behind like with like you don't see any representation especially queer representation queer south asian representation so i think it's very important to keep doing like like me and Asif, for like we keep doing drag to inspire other people and the younger generations to do it because that's the thing if you don't see someone like you doing it you don't know if you can do it I get messages all the time they're saying that, oh my God, like, I didn't realise that a South Asian person could do drag. I realised a Muslim person could do drag. So uh, I'm finally doing drag now and I've inspired like a good four or five during this lockdown who are messaging me all the time for tips on makeup. How do I look? How do I look? How do I look? So it's like, one day you will look good. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. So finally, what advice would you give to a young Val Qaeda, maybe uh, age 12, just about to send that? Facebook post what would you like to say to that person today I'd just say send that Facebook post girl everyone already knows it <laughs> but I mean do, do exactly what you did but really appreciate every, everyone around you live your life don't be so shut out by the fear of people saying things to you and bullying you from a hundred percent you being who you are don't be embarrassed about being South Asian because that's what makes you unique. 
I do kind of regret the only thing is be like when I did get kicked out, I was quite ashamed of being South Asian. So I didn't speak like Urdu for like eight years and mm-hmm. I can fully understand it. I just can't speak it anymore. And it's such a shame because I was such a, so embarrassed about it. And looking back, I was like, well, how, why was I so stupid being embarrassed about it? I just lost a part of my culture that is going to take ages to like come back. But don't be afraid of being South Asian and gay. Don't be afraid of being Muslim and gay. You can be both. And you were made in God's image and God loves you. Thanks, Val. Gosh, what a sobering story. Thank God you got the life that you deserve in the end. I just can't imagine spending my 18th birthday in a homeless hostel. I cannot wait to come and see you on a stage somewhere. Right, next episode, we're off to LA to meet Lee the lesbian. She didn't come out, though, until she was in her 40s, partly because of what her dad once said to her. And he was kind of joking, but he said, like, you can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. Just don't be a radical feminist lesbian. What? And he had such scorn and such dislike for this. I don't even know what or who he was talking about. But that just, like, embedded in my brain. And I really think that would cost me, like, 10 years of not coming out. 